1: I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 47. Today in the show, just like the clocks this past weekend, we're springing forward and discussing what our personal plans are for this spring to prep for the 2015 deer season. Shed hunting, scouting, food plots, we discuss it all and much more. Alright, welcome to the wired to hunt podcast. And this week was the beginning of daylight savings time. As we've turned the clocks back, or actually turned the clocks up an hour, and officially, in my book, Leapt into Spring. So with that said, today I want us to take a break from our jam-packed guest episodes that we've had lately, and instead take some time to chat about what me and Dan are doing personally, right now, to prep for the 2015 deer season. But before we get into all that, Dan... How are you?
2: I'm doing pretty good. Uh, had a it, the weather outside is gorgeous, and as soon as I'm done uh, recording the podcast, I'm actually going to go get my daughter. And although the backyard's a little mushy, and she may or may not get it, I'm going to have a little bit of a staged shed hunt with her, and uh, we'll see what happens.
1: Nice. That should be fun. Yeah.
2: Yep. So I'll take uh, I'll take a couple antlers that. Uh, or the antler that I found this weekend, I'll throw it under a tree or something, and I'll say, hey, let's go look for them, and take her downstairs first to show her again what they look like, and then I'll let her loose in the backyard and see if she can't find it.
1: That's an awesome idea. It sounds exactly like what I'm planning on doing after this call, too. But instead of my daughter, I'm going to take my dog. Oh. Um, so what are you trying to say, Mark? <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know. <laughs> Basically, my dog's probably going to find more sheds than your daughter. Probably
2: probably. Yeah.
1: <laughs> That's funny. That's a cool idea though. I'm, I'm excited for you. I hope the hope she likes it. What are you going to do though? If she totally just utterly fails, are you going to be, are you just going to give up on her as a shed hunter?
2: No, I will. I'll, I'll, I'll give her, I'll give her a couple more tries, but I think I'll be more upset if she goes into the grass and just pulls out a gagger shed that has, you know, that, that I didn't even, I've never seen before, or the neighbor didn't see, and just be like,
0: Are you kidding me? What?
2: Yeah. That'd be pretty sweet. I'll give her a couple more tries before I make the final, you know, if she makes the team or not.
1: I think that's probably a pretty good idea. I know if I got judged and if I can make the shed hunting team when I was two or whatever, I would definitely have not made the team. So, right, right. Oh, man. Well, speaking of shed hunting, though. We have a lot of shed hunting to talk about today, huh? Right. Did you have a good time? I did. And I guess I should preface before we talk too much about that, about, you know, why we're asking if I had a good time. Because, you know, at the end of last episode, I was talking about the fact that I was supposed to come down or I was supposed to go to Ohio to shed hunt this past weekend. Um, But, you know, as we talked about, there was a big snowstorm. And there was something like eight inches of fresh snow at my Ohio property. And so on Thursday, my buddy Corey and I were looking at it, and there was just no way that we are going to go down there and really have a worthwhile trip with all that snow. So we canceled the trip, decided to push it back a week, and then we're sitting there and thinking, ah, what are we going to do? Maybe we can shed hunt around Michigan a little bit. There's a lot of snow too, but I guess we could just walk around just to walk. Um, but then I remember that you're going, you were going shed hunting this weekend. And... Um, Gosh, my good old podcast co-host, you invited me and my buddy Corey to join you, so we did.
2: And, and uh, once again, huge mistake on my part.
1: <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I, I thought I thought you would have learned by now.
2: <laughs> I guess I'm just a really nice guy. Okay.
1: Yeah, I'll give you that.
2: So, so again, you know, without without spoiling anything, Mark finds the biggest shed again.
1: I did. And it was like a it was a last minute nail biter of a find yeah. too. That was it was the last shed of the trip. Last day, last probably half hour. And uh I pulled out the the biggest shed. Yep. I'm a happy camper too. And what's cool is I, I took that shed back and it was you know, it was, you know, the freshest shed I had this year, because that's the first shed that I really found. Um and brought it home and last night. I went walking through the woods and dropped the sh- or threw the shed off in the distance and went back, grabbed my dog about a half hour later and took him out in the woods and walked him around, We walked all over the property, and then finally I passed him by where that shed was, passed him by about 50 yards downwind of it, and he was running along, and all of a sudden he hits a wall, slams on the brakes, turns and spins and runs 50 yards clear across the other direction right to that shed. Awesome. So, uh, so, yeah, I love seeing that when he does that. So Maybe uh, next year you'll have to bring him. I know I, I, want to, I want to bring him one of these times, and I want to bring him to Ohio when I go um, next to, but it just does present some logistical issues, you know, yeah. find a place I can keep him, and, you know, what if we we're, we're going to go in a restaurant or all these different things. So it always ends yeah. up being a little bit of a challenge, but I do need to just suck it up and bring him because he needs to get that experience in an area where, you know, where there's actually sheds to be found. Yeah, so. for sure. But it's fun. It's fun. But uh, what do you think? Should we uh, should we regale our listeners with a story of the weekend?
2: Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, I had a blast. I, I know we didn't find a lot of sheds. I think, what was our total? Six? I think five. Six, five, five sheds. Five, five sheds. sheds. But, uh, you know, guys like us, we make the best out of a, an average situation. So, uh-huh. so
1: Yeah, What well, well, yeah. we, uh, we got there Friday afternoon, me and Corey, after about a seven and a half hour drive. And, you know, right away you took us out to one of your spots. And what did we do? We walked... Gosh, what was that first spot?
2: That first spot was down at that river bottom, and oh, uh, where yeah. uh, standing beans were at. Yes, and uh, I have historically I had really good luck there every year. The river had hadn't come up yet to flood everything out, and uh, I've I've had one of my best shed hunting days uh, there in the past, and uh, we got skunked. But uh, the sign was there, and as you saw, that uh, the sign was there. You know, a lot of a lot of uh, buck sign and a lot of uh, awesome bedding, but uh, just no sheds.
1: Yeah, I was really surprised, especially, you know, that little section where there's all those standing beans still. Like, when we yeah. that was the first place we went to, and I was like, oh, like, we're going to find some sheds here, no doubt about it. Standing beans, perfect. But oh. I think there was, you know, some of them were moldy, and there had been some water yeah. in there, and I think that might have kept them from popping in there as much and wasn't there but uh gosh we went uh i think the highlight of my night really the shed hunting wasn't so great that night but we went to a bar that night and there was a really really darn good buffet right that was a pretty good buffet yeah
2: yeah catfish uh white fried
1: chicken uh, fried
2: chicken and steak cutlets Yep. salad bar fried shrimp fried, fried shrimp. shrimp yep Oh, it was good. Uh, mashed I, uh,
1: potatoes, corn, green beans. Yeah, the real deal. Yeah, and that
2: that the good thing about that is that restaurant is in the middle of nowhere.
1: Yeah, I mean it's definitely not a fancy place, but it's like a nice, nice, good food. I mean it's yeah. a it's a good little spot. Yeah, and
2: I, th- I told you it used to be a biker bar before they renovated it. That uh, wasn't family friendly.
1: No, it didn't sound like it. Didn't you say that they were like tire skid marks within the bar back in the day?
2: They used to bring the motorcycles into the bar and do peel outs in there and get all liquored up and probably a little bit more than liquor and uh,
1: had a good old time. The
2: owner of the bar, every 4th of July, used to build a bonfire and then ramp his motorcycle through it. So every year, every year he'd get hurt because he ramped his motorcycle through a bonfire
1: and... uh,
2: Oh yeah, man! I'm I'm a badass. Greatest greatest day of my life, Fourth of July.
1: That's awesome. Yep. Wow. Well, yeah, definitely has changed a lot since then. That's for sure.
2: Yeah, that's a fact for the um, better.
1: Yeah, I'd say they've they've got really good service too. Yeah. You they know why do. I say that? Because she complimented you. <laughs> 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 we're sitting there at dinner, and somehow the topic of my beard or lack thereof came up. I think we were talking about your beard, and then my beard and how they're pretty close, right? I mean, they're, they're pretty similar, but maybe yours just a little better, right?
2: Mm, I guess everybody has their own opinion. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then the waitress comes by, and of course, you know, only you would do this. You grab the waitress. You're like, hey, what do you think about his goatee? And then you put her in that awkward spot. She, what she did she say? She didn't know what to say.
2: She, she was just kind of taken back at first. But th- <laughs> then she complimented you while we were on our way out the door.
1: Yeah, on the way out, she's, uh, what she, she was – um. You do like, uh, uh y- yeah. You do have a good goatee. I think it wasn't That's even it said. wasn't even that good. I think she said ah, it's not bad.
2: <laughs> yeah, and then you guys started flirting.
1: No, no, no. flirting. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think you were talking about you're describing. And you're like, you know what, you know what, you look like Mark. You look like a like a rookie major league pitcher that just came out of college, just trying to get some facial hair, <laughs> but, yeah,
2: trying to make it big. You know, trying to get that Gillette sponsorship.
1: Uh-huh.
2: And, uh huh. And. And, uh, you just got it, you, you know, you just need more time. The big money and add, you know, in sponsorships isn't coming until you can really drop the the hammer, so to speak on the, on the, uh, the man goatee. And, uh, as soon as that, then, you know, Gillette starts calling, uh, mm-hmm. Nike, hell, you may even be sponsoring, uh, getting sponsored by a, a company that makes beard nets for <laughs>
1: <laughs> that really is the peak. That's the peak right there. You can get to that point. <laughs> Well, on our drive home me and Corey were talking about a someone that went to high or i, don't know, I think it was somebody he went to high school with or he knew a friend that played college baseball and he was a little skinny guy um kind of like me skinny not a whole lot of like, facial hair not real big um but he went home over the summer and when he came back the next fall all the baseball players on his team like couldn't believe like it was the same guy he was huge full beard and he was really big and like what in the world happened to you? And he said, "Well, I was working on the farm all summer, and then my dad had these horse, horse steroids that he said I should start taking. <laughs> <laughs> so I might start taking some of those to get the full beard effect." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh man! So that was day one. Day two.
2: Day, yeah, day two was our big walk.
1: Day what? two was ten hash- hours. Ten hours, and that was a uh, hashtag shed rally. Pet shed rally. Yes, we... Uh, How many times do you think we yelled that? Uh, at least 50, probably. 50, yeah. yeah. And then we'd say, just practicing. Yep, because <laughs> we were going to yell shed rally if we found a shed, and then we never found a shed.
2: No. Uh, you know, and I think the huge issue with that, with, with our lack of shed finds, was we did not follow Dan Perez's instructions and rake waterways. We didn't rake any ponds. <laughs> and I think... I think that had a lot to do with it. If yeah. I would have brought the the old rake, we would have we've been stacking them.
1: You know, we we definitely talked about it a couple of times, didn't we? <laughs> yeah. It would have been interesting. Who know? I mean, it's a really interesting idea. Unfortunately, all the ponds that we passed were were frozen and we didn't have a rake. Right. Um but it's an interesting one. Someday maybe we'll give it a shot. But yeah, yeah. you know, we weren't uh weren't finding the sheds. I think, you know, like we talked about you know, when it comes to shed hunting, lots of times, really, it's it's where the late-season food is. Right. And a lot of your late-season food, you know, the bean fields were flooded out, and you have some neighbors that have very, very good late-season food. Yep, to the north, to the south, and to the east, so. And that seems to really pull them away. They're like a
2: sponge. And, I mean, compared to what we found to what they found, and uh, it's... That's one day for them,
1: and we walked for fifteen straight hours, almost or fifteen yeah. hours total. Yeah. Can can we talk about that? Yeah, if you want. Can you can you share the details about uh, who that is, or do you want to keep that uh, disclosed?
2: Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you this: I hunt next to two very well managed farms. One of them is a very well known hunting TV show. And, uh, every year they, uh, they have, you know, they, they find a ton of sheds, they kill huge bucks and I'm just fortunate that I can get some of the residual off of, off of their, you know, their time and energy. I get some, some wandering bucks come through my area sometimes. And, you know, I think we talked about it. I get like random 200 inchers or, you know, booners come through once a year, I'll catch one random giant roaming deer on one of my trail cameras that maybe just have three pictures of him and that's it. And it, he's, he's coming from one of those farms, but uh, very well managed. And uh, then when shed hunt season comes, all the food's gone. They have, you know, several, several, you know, hundred acres of food plots. It makes, uh, makes shed hunting difficult on my properties when they, that, their property draws them in like a sponge.
1: Yeah. We'll call it the celebrity shed effect. That's right. That's they, right. Uh, they pull all the, all the sheds. And interesting story related to this, right? Right. Yeah, we, that we discovered last night. I get a text message from my buddy, Corey. And he was on this these people person's uh, Facebook page. And they had posted a picture of all the sheds they found on Saturday. The same day we were out there looking. And like you mentioned, they found a whole crap ton compared to us and Corey goes dude those sheds that's mark kenyon that's the mark kenyon buck the buck that you named after me because i found his shed last year
2: yep and it is i looked at it and it is exactly that oh yeah um that that huge matching set on the front of the the very front yeah i believe i have that right side from last year
1: Really? Is that a buck that you had been hunting and that you knew?
2: Uh, Nope, just a random shed I found. Actually, I found it on the, uh, um, on the, that first place that we went.
1: Okay, nice. On that,
2: uh, that bottom, that bottom uh, standing bean field. So that's where I found him the first, that, that last year. So
1: about how far away is that, do you think? That's a couple miles, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a mile or so. So it's crazy how. That time of year, as soon as the food runs out, they go like in the timber or, you know, egg fields start drying up. They'll go to the last possible food source. So the property that I hunt is, you know, giant timber. So to the south and to the north are these these managed farms with food plots. Depending on where these deer end at, whatever closest one they're to is where they're going for the rest of the winter. So that one buck probably just was closer to that, that bean field or that corn, it was corn last year, uh, and was just happy, you know, he was closer there. So that's where he stayed the the entire summer or the entire winter.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. And they go back to their home, their summer fall range, which is the property that I can hunt. And they had, they get back there probably about, um, I'd say, I'd say April is when they start coming back.
1: Nice. Well, it's, uh, even though it's a bummer for shed season, usually it's, it's a nice benefit you have during most of the rest of the season, at least during the rut when they're moving through. Right. Um, cause man, I I really hope that Mark Kenyon doesn't spend too much time on their property because I, well, I was going to say, I want you to it get depends. a shot. but then It I,
2: depends if you want to give your, if you want to give your, uh, your antler up or not.
1: Right. For a second there, I was feeling really generous. Yeah. But, but now I don't know, maybe I get some leverage on them. Maybe I can be like, Hey, you know, next year, you know that buck made it through this year, so what he's gonna be like a six and a half year old or a seven and a half year old this year probably, yep, I mean, what do you think he scored last year? He was high sixties, don't you think yeah
2: he's he's definitely high sixties so, high sixties, yeah,
1: so next year he's probably a Booner, so yep. you know these folks are probably gonna be targeting him next year, and I'm gonna have his shed, I'm gonna say, hey, if you want this shed. How about you let me hunt your farm?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they'll think about that.
1: Yeah, I think that'll work real well.
0: Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often as the case, those guys were on to something in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. For all things auto, do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's
1: O'ReillyAuto.com
0: slash eater.
1: Um, uh, that's funny. Yeah, but that's pretty cool, but also kind of a bummer because I was really hoping to find those sheds, or <laughs> someone, yeah. one of us to find those sheds, and there they were on their table.
2: I want to talk. I want to talk about something real quick. Yeah, let's hear it. I want to talk about the rules that we established for shed hunting.
1: Yeah, we didn't get to talk about that last week,
2: right? So I get a little Facebook message uh, from someone saying that uh, you know they oh that's politics. That's just shed hunting politics or something like that. I don't even know. I don't even remember. And he's like, "Why? Why do you, this guy said something about? Uh, I don't. Uh, I don't understand why you would." give away a shed if you were the person who found it well here's my i just i just have to explain myself okay the first off we'll say the rules the rules are if you find a shed the very first shed of a matching set and that's to to be determined by the group if i was to find the first shed and then let's say mark would find the second side to that uh, rack mark would give it up and that reason is because i feel that if you're gonna, if both antlers are found, they need to be together. That's the, the deer grew that. And that's just kind of, kind of what I think. What are your thoughts on that?
1: You know, I I like it. I think, you know, it's obviously, these are rules that, I don't know, some group of friends started that we've just been passing them along. And uh, Mm -hmm. it's, it's what I've always heard and what I've always abided by. And I know, same for you. Um, it's obviously nothing written in stone and it's not like everyone does that federal law no there's no (laughs) shed hunting law um but it seems to be a generally accepted just kind of unwritten rule that it just seems to be the right thing if 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 you've got that antler you want to match it up you want to have that match set getting a match set is pretty special and if you already have that first half it just feels like the right thing to do um and i think you know yeah, it sucks giving up a shed to someone because, you know, it's, it's a great excitement to find a shed. We don't find a whole lot. So when you find one, you want to keep one. But I think, you know, when you give one up, karma comes back. Ooh, I'm knocking over picture frames over here. <laughs> karma comes back around, and, um, you know, you'll, you'll get yours eventually. So I'm well, tot- I'm totally okay with that. And I know that if I found a shed, like a big shed, like one of the ones, that I, a buck I've been following, and then my buddy found the match, you know, it, it would be – Amazing to have both. And so knowing that that would be the case, you know, I'm totally fine giving up a shed.
2: Of the five biggest sheds that I've ever found, I've had to give three of them up because um, one was the person gave or the person found one the day, the, the matching side the day before. And the second reason, which is rule number two, if somebody kills that deer, whoever kills the deer gets all the antlers from all the years. So it's just like that story. All has to live in one spot. It's not like you know. Like for me, if I killed Mark Kenyon, and I'm just going to use this as an example,
1: uh-huh.
2: I kill Mark Kenyon, and I have it. I have his mount on the wall. It would be so awesome to say, and here's his here's his antler from two years before that my good buddy Mark Kenyon found.
1: Absolutely.
2: Show him the pictures and whatnot, and that's it's. It's just. I. It's like. Back to uh, I think how me and you really are. It's all about a story, yeah. you know. It's you know sometimes they end on a good note, sometimes they end on a with a question mark, and uh, I just think it's one of those things that uh, the they it, it all has to come together at the end.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think um, I'm right there with you. I think that's a great rule to have. I think it benefits, it, like you said, benefits the story. And being able to have that shed really just can, you know, it's it's a special thing. And if you have that connection with a deer, you end up killing a deer, maybe it's a deer you've hunted for a couple of years, whatever it is, um, you know, you're deserving of having that bone. So if you do kill Mark Kenyon, the deer, yep. I will be happy to give you that shed back. Um, and I'll be excited to be a part of that story in some small way. So <laughs> yeah. So uh, see if we can pull it off your neighbors and uh, get that slobber knocker next year. Cause he's going to be a stud.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to, I'm going to make some kind of adjustments and I know we'll get that. We'll get into that here in a second. But, uh, my, my next question to you is, are you still friends with Corey fall?
1: (laughs) You even put the full name out there. He's really thrown under the bus now. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I am. Um, and I know you're bringing this up because, you know, there's the, the potential that he he broke potentially the third rule of shed hunting to a, to a degree. I mean, it's not it's not one that I call it as, you know, it's not important to others. It's, it's hard to do. It's hard to abide by.
2: Right. It's one of those things that you really have to pay attention in order to follow it. And it's hard to, especially when the terrain is um, like it is on, on my farms where it doesn't, it's not in a straight line. And I'm just I'm just bringing it up basically to give him some crap, but uh, <laughs> I've seen it I've seen it the opposite way where someone will be walking down a deer trail find a giant antler, and I gave you a specific example of that, but they found this giant like 80 point side 85 inch antler.
1: Yeah, not an 80, and, not an 80 point side.
2: <laughs> no, 80 point side. Yeah, 80 an inch. 80 inch 85 inch antler, and uh, so as this guy's taking pictures, another person kind of hops continues the shed hunt in his line and doesn't give him the opportunity to find that himself. You know, we're we're kind of digging deep on this third rule, but the guy ended up finding it and then A didn't give it uh then broke rule number one and
1: didn't give it up. Yeah. Which so, is which is pretty lousy across the whole board.
2: Yeah. Oh well. I mean yeah. it is what it is. It's and that that shed that the second guy found was like ninety four inches. Ooh. So you know, it would be tough for some people. And, you know, those rules probably weren't established at the time of the, that shed hunt, but it's one of those things where whenever I go shed hunting, I always ask what the rules are because I've been shed hunting before where the guy who owns the property wants to keep the sheds. Right. That's fine with me if that rule is established right off the bat. Right. Um, or if, uh, or, you know, sometimes people have other rules or, I don't know what they, what they may be, but if they're brought to attention, uh, right off the bat, it can, uh, I mean, I can see to where people would get in huge arguments about it.
1: Yeah. I think it's one of those things, you know, cause, cause people get pretty excited about antlers. So yeah. it's best to, if you're taking, if you're going out together and you're looking for antlers and it's on someone else's property or whatever, or whatever it is, it's just good to get, you know, Hey, these are the basic guidelines we're going to follow here. And here's the plan. And, you know, when it comes to, like you mentioned, you know, walking lines, you know, it's just basic kind of shed hunting etiquette that, you know, when you start, when you're walking property with several people, right, you all kind of say, okay, I'm going to work this line here. I'm going to work the top of the ridge. So-and-so is going to work three quarters down. So-and-so is going to work the bottom. That way you're not all crossing each other all the time. And then you each walk your own respective line. It will call it the line. And then that way everyone has their own opportunity to find sheds in that path in front of them. Right. Um, and then, you know, sometimes, you know, inevitably, like you mentioned, because of train or different things, right, there's going to be some narrowing down. People are going to have to get closer to each other. You might cross a little bit here and there when you're making turns and whatnot, but you know, what could be disrespectful is, you know, if you guys, if we agree, we're all going to walk these separate areas and then someone keeps popping in front of you and, you know, looking at your stuff too. And then you don't have the opportunity to find any sheds. So, yep. Well,
2: and the the main reason I bring a rule like that up is because, if you want to cover as much area as possible, every you can't be crisscrossing each other. That that way, you're you know you have the potential for missing sheds. And you know when for me, I only have this one weekend to go. I want to make sure we're covering as much ground as possible and finding as many sheds as possible.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's it's a it's a smart way to shed hunt, and it's like a it's it's a way to keep it from being such like a deathly competition, because if everyone's kind of in a free for all, then you're going to have people like trying to get ahead of people. Yeah. um, If everyone's, you know, out for themselves this way, when you have an, you know, kind of a basic assigned area that you're looking that way, everyone can go about it. And I kind of look at it as, you know what I don't, I I used to, when I was early on, I was always stressed about like trying to, you know, be in the right place before anyone else, maybe. Um, But now it's, you know what, I'm just going to walk my little spot. And if I get lucky enough to find one, I get lucky enough to find one. If not, don't worry about it eventually you know eventually I'll have my opportunity and it's 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 a dumb thing to get stressed out about so it's
2: supposed to be fun yeah I mean all we did this whole weekend was laugh and make fun of each other that's all (laughs) that's all we did
1: and that is a good shed hunting weekend in my opinion that is good so so yeah it was a lot of fun And thank you again for for letting us come down there and walk your property and bring home a couple sheds that was a lot of fun
2: yeah I had a blast man
1: yeah before we before we jump off the shadowing topic we we've talked about this a little longer than i thought we would but i really quickly want to share my plans for this coming weekend um and that'll yeah, be kind of I a can't good
2: wait i cannot wait to see what you find
1: yeah i'm uh as excited as i was coming down with you i'm maybe more excited um from a deer hunting perspective to go down to ohio because because of everything that's going on down there
2: well and you get a sh- and you get to hunt that property
1: yeah yeah so uh, it's going to be money cuz since we waited a week all that snow is going to be melted, and it'll just have melted. It's probably going to be finished off melting maybe Wednesday or Thursday, and we're going to get there Friday. So the snow is just going to come off. Hopefully those antlers aren't all chewed up. And on my Ohio property, we've got just nothing but awesome late-season food, great cover, and I've got permission to shed hunt You know, a bunch of properties right around there where I know these deer were hanging out in the late season. I mean, I was there in January. January 2nd, I saw Glenn who's pushing Boone and Crockett. I saw blades who's mid 130s. Um we've got trail camera pictures of several other of our really good bucks still late in the season that were, you know, alive and well hanging out in the area. Um I got, you know, I saw a junkyard just around the corner on a neighboring property, a 180. So there's all these good deer that are in the area still and I had standing beans on my neighboring property that I can shed hunt and cut corn on my property. So, you know, these deer are going to be there. And it's just a matter of finding the sheds, but I get, I can almost guarantee there's going to be a lot of sheds in the area.
2: Yeah, man. I hope you find them. I I uh, I wish I I wish I had properties that have have that food description. Well, it's not every day you run into a standing bean field like what you're going to be walking into.
1: Yeah, it's a kind of a lucky situation where they couldn't harvest it, and um, man, that when I was there at the end of the season, deer were just piling into it. And then I went back again January twenty sixth uh, for a little other thing I did down there. I wasn't hunting, but I was just in the area checking some things out and I was standing out in those fields at the end of the night and like twenty five deer were piling out into the field again. So I mean they were still in there at the end of January, so I'm I'm sure that they were there when they're dropping sheds. But even more exciting than finding the sheds to a bunch of these deer that I've been you know hunting a couple of years. That's gonna be awesome if I can find those sheds. Uh, but probably what I'm the most excited slash nervous about is to hopefully to, to some degree one way or the other get some closure on the jawbreaker situation.
2: So what's your gut feeling?
1: My gut feeling, um, I've th- you know, I've thought through this over and over again, but I think my gut, unfortunately I think he's dead. Um yeah. And I think, I think what probably happened is he is uh you know, that shot was low and back. It deflected off that limb, so it's low and back. I think it was probably the kind of shot where and I hate this. I hate that this happened. Um, but I think it was the kind of shot where he probably survived a couple of days. Maybe three, four, I don't know, a week. I think it's the kind of thing where he might die from infection. Yeah. Um, which is the the worst possible case scenario. Um I I hope that I really hope that was not the case. Um, but I just feel uh with that shot, I think is probably what happened. So my my thought process is that, you know, I tracked him for those two full days after afterwards. I don't think he died yet. Um, but I think that, you know, most likely he probably returned to one of his main betting areas. And, uh, you know, my thoughts are maybe he succumbed in one of those locations. And so if that did happen, um, I guess the, the best-case scenario, assuming that worst-case scenario happened, would be, you know, I'm hoping that I can at least find him um, and know what happened. Um, and then, you know, be able to, uh, you know, have that, that memory there and that token of, uh, you know, this deer that I had such uh incredible several year, several year hunt for, um, but, but either way, and it, hopefully I'll find him and I'll know what happened or what I really hope will happen is that, you know, it'll be a miracle, but hopefully I'll find his sheds. And if I find his sheds, I will be like a kid on Christmas morning. <laughs> Yeah.
2: I'm rooting for that, man. So I, I, that brings me up. That's kind of story. And I don't remember if I asked it, um, on the podcast where we talked about your hunt for jawbreaker, but, um, when, when you shot him and you didn't find him, did you start gridding that property or did you just look in the general area where you thought he might have
1: went? Yeah. So I, um, the first day we blood trail as far as we could. And then, excuse me. And then we, started grid searching the areas where we thought he would go. And then the second day we tried the blood trail again with the dog for about half of the day. And the second half of the day, I just grid searched every square inch of all the properties I had permission to be on. Okay. So I checked every Creek, every pond, every bedding area, every thick spot, every blow down, every Ridge, every everything. Um,
2: so now I, you have permission to shed hunt some of these properties that surround the the properties that you can hunt.
1: Yes. So so I think uh, if if he did, in fact, end up dying at some point, that's where you're going to find him. I think there's a good chance I'll be able to find him. So we'll uh, hopefully I'll know one way or the other and we'll have some type of closure um, to that story. And, uh, you know, we'll be able to move on from there. But who knows? Maybe maybe somehow he made it through. And maybe his sheds will be there, and Glenn's sheds will be there, and Blade's sheds, and Beast, and Junkyard, and all those stupid slob knockers will be in there. In in
2: one giant pile. In one massive pile (laughs) right there, just (laughs)
1: waiting for us. So hopefully that's what will happen. So that's the plans for this weekend. I'm excited, and uh, it, it makes me think about everything else I have to do leading up to the 2000, 2015 season because there's a lot of it. And that's what I was hoping we could spend the last half year of the episode talking about is the things that we can do right now as, you know, spring's starting, what we can do in the spring to start preparing for the deer season, which, you know, it's going to be here before we know it. Um, so there's a handful of different things I've got going on and some kind of interesting plans on my front. Um, but I'm curious to kick it over to you first, Dan. Uh, do you have anything that you already that you're already doing or already thinking about planning for that you want to do in the next couple of weeks or months to start that preparation.
2: Yeah, I mean, well, as you know, and you're the same way, uh I, and you never really stop planning for a deer season. I mean, as soon as this deer season was over, you know, although this past deer season I was focused on getting my buddy Ryan a buck and and I kind of came second. This year, I'm back to hunting again. And um you know, I what I'm thinking about right now is a you know, there's a there's a couple things one is still narrowing down to try to find the perfect stand location um knowing what crops are going to be in what fields will have you know will help but you know it's not going to be too long in in april and i'm going to start be uh setting out mineral stations again and get my trail cameras back up uh you know the the deer may or may not be recognizable but it will give me a great idea of who made it through the winter and um you know that that can tell you a lot about the upcoming season.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Are
2: you sorry, go ahead. Uh well, other than that, I mean, I have one um I don't know if you want to talk about that right now, but that pinch point
1: stand. Yeah, what's what's your plan with that?
2: Well, what what we noticed is I wrote an article on the Nine Finger Chronicles about this particular pinch point. Okay. And what we what we were finding is that some of the deer, not all of them, some of them were skirting that area, meaning we we were missing shot opportunities because of a gap in a fence. Now, I think one plan, and there's, there's a couple ideas I'm trying to, to think of how to solve that problem, but I need to close that gap or move my tree stand. So I'm thinking what's going to be the easiest is actually it's going to be hard up front, but it's going to make more sense long-term for the actual stand. Because I already have a stand hung or lanes trimmed. I'll just have to go back in and, and do some light trimming when I set the stand up again in August. But I'm going to cut the, – the farmer needs a whole bunch of locust trees cut out of the CRP field. So I'm going to take all those trees and I'm going to stack them down in this low spot where they're crossing – basically making a little wall and forcing them to use the fence crossing that I originally determined as the best place to, you know, to get a shot. So it's going to take a little, probably some summer, as soon as the ground gets dry enough to where, you know, when I can get on my hands and knees, I'm not going to get uh, sopping wet. I'll start cutting down some of these trees, piling them all down in that bottom ravine. And uh, hopefully that, deters them from that area and they come all the way up to where my uh, stand location is
0: now a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating you know some organ the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill i had that when i was a little kid and it was a big deal organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients and as often as the case those guys were onto something And you can find what you need in store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash Meat Eater. That's O'Reillyauto.com slash Meat Eater.
1: That's an awesome idea. Yeah. I think that's that's really smart. And that's something that, you know, this time of year a great thing to do is is exactly what you're doing. You know, going and looking at your current stand locations analyzing you know what you learned from the previous season you know how are deer using it uh you know how did the wind affect your hunts how are you able to get in and out and then start thinking about what little tweaks can you make to those locations to make them even better so you know in your yep. case block block one of their paths so that they'll use the path that's better for you that makes all the sense in the world um and you know you're stacking trees um you know another way to do it is you know hinge cutting if there's already small trees around there you can hinge cut those trees where you cut a you know, a small tree partway through and bring that top down to the ground. That works as a really good barrier um, and creates more cover too. Um, You know, another option, which is the opposite, is, you know, in the case where you have a farmer's fence, you know, this is just the low farmer's fence. um, Deer, as you know, you know, they love the path of least resistance. And so if you've got a normal farmer's fence that goes all the way across, let's say a, a fence line, and you have a tree stand in one corner maybe, if you want the deer to start using that corner more often, do something, if you, have, if you have permission or if it's your farm and you can do whatever you want, you know, cut that top wire or, you know, pull that top wire, you know, wrap that, type, that uh, top wire with a piece of rope and pinch that down so that there's a little bit lower wire there. And that will encourage the deer to cross there more than anywhere else because it's easier. And that's a great way to help funnel the deer movement where you want it. Um There's lots of really cool ways you can do that with habitat improvements or little tweaks like what you're doing um, to just fine tune sets. And I think, you know, one of the biggest things that I've learned about hunting deer, especially when when it comes to mature bucks, is that the details matter. And, you know, for a long time for me, it was, you know, just getting in the right area, just seeing the big deer, you know, just getting the basics right. But then once you get to that point, it really becomes a game of inches and you have to start looking at all the little things, all the tiny things you can put in your favor, because there's so many things that go wrong when you hunt these deer that every little chip that you can have on your side is going to help. And I think this is the time when you can really start addressing those details. This, this period of time when we're not worried about actually hunting, this is when you need to, even though you want to go bass fishing and you want to go turkey hunting and you want to do all, do all these other things, it's important to still focus on some of this deer prep because this is the time of year that you have the time to go in there and make these little changes, make these adjustments, um, and then it, it's really going to pay off once the deer season comes, in my opinion.
2: Yep, I agree 100%. And, and unlike you, I don't have to worry about planting food plots because I don't have properties that necessarily uh, allow for that. Um, I, don't need to, I don't need to hinge cut because the forest, the timber that I hunt in is um, enrolled in a forestry program, so I can't cut trees. Um, you know, I, I, get away with cutting some, uh, some shooting lanes, but that's a little bit different than hinge cutting several trees to create a, a giant bedding area. You know what I mean? Yeah. So my, my focus is more towards the the micromanagement of my tree stand locations as opposed to finding ways to hold or grow deer.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I think everyone has to look at their own, you know, yep, everyone is different. A, yeah, exactly. Everyone has a unique situation and yeah, it would be awesome. I mean, I th- lots of people would say, Oh, I wish I owned my own ground. I could do whatever I want. And yeah, that'd be amazing. But I think each one of us just needs to, you know, look at whatever the situation that we have and then do whatever, whatever you possibly can do to, to improve it. So if you hunt public land, all you can probably do is just adjust your, your tree stand locations, but you know, kind of like you, all right, if that's all you can do, then, then dive in full force and do everything you can to tweak those to perfection, adjust it, learn about how those deer are using that area and use this time to start doing some of that work. If you, you know, if you own ground and you can make improvements, well, yeah, go ahead and do those things. Um, but you know, in my opinion, take advantage of whatever opportunities you have, to improve your situation and don't just sit there and don't do any work, but then complain every deer season when, Oh, big buck got out of range again, or can't quite close the deal again. Um, But you're not ever trying to do any work to improve that. So,
2: and, and like me and you stress all the time, the work you do now prevents you from doing the work in October and November when instead of cutting tree stands or, you know, shooting lanes and, Um, instead of having to do all this last minute work, you can focus on hunting
1: and not on everything else. Absolutely. This is, you got to do the work now and then you, you cash in on that work in the fall. And, um, I think the, the more you do that, the better off you're going to be consistently across, whether it's public land, private land, lease, own property, no matter what your situation is, the more work you do earlier, the better off you're going to be come season. Yep. So now's, now's the time to do it. Um, and that's got me thinking about some of my plans too. Um, is there anything else that you want to touch though on that, that you're working on right now before I dive into a couple of things that I'm thinking about?
2: You know, not really other than, you know, just, just doing what I've always done, but I think I'm going to make one quick, one little change this year and early season, I'm going to actually focus on parts of the timber that I've never hunted before, that may necessarily not have the largest amount of sign for one reason, and that's to confirm that there may or may not be any deer movement in that area. And no information is still information about the grand scheme of things. So I think if even if there's zero deer that work by there on like the two or three times that I may hunt it, that lets me know that I I really don't need to worry about that. And it's then, like me, I'm an overanalyzer about tree stands. So knowing that that particular area is out of my head, I don't need to worry about it. It just means that I'll make a better de- decision when it comes time to set my stands and hunt
1: my stands. That's an awesome, that's an awesome point. Um, and it brings to mind something I'm actually working on an article about. And I don't remember, you know, I'm not sure where I originally heard about this concept, um, but it basically the idea of having a deer desert or a deer kind of no man's land. So like you said, you want to know where those areas are where the deer aren't typically going to be. And yep. I think there's there's real value to having those on your property. You, I want places on my property where deer aren't going to hang out. I think that, you know, the, that's kind of counterintuitive to some people. Some people are like, well, why in the world would you want that? I want This to be the best possible deer habitat everywhere. I want deer everywhere. I want as many deer as possible. But actually, you know, in my opinion, you really do want concentrated areas where, okay, I'm pretty sure there's going to be deer here and here and here at certain times of the day. But then I also want to know at certain times of the day where deer will not be because, you know, we need to access. We need to have safe places that we can move through to get to where we're going to hunt where we're not going to spook deer. I need safe areas where my wind can blow where there shouldn't be deer. Um, having those deer deserts is a really important asset if you want to be able to hunt deer without them knowing that you're doing that. Um, and so that's something I'll go into probably more detail at a later point, but it's something to think about when it comes to hunting, like in your case, learning where those places naturally are. And then it's something to think about when you're doing, if you own property, when you're actually doing habitat improvements, You know, be careful not to destroy a deer desert that's a good deer desert to have you know, don't go planting food plots every possible place because all of a sudden you're never going to be able to get into your property without spooking a bunch of deer. So, right. you know, really it's something that people need to think about. And, uh, I certainly have learned the hard way a couple of times about, um, you know, the, the risk of getting rid of deer deserts, um, because it can, you know, put you in a position where you're educating deer a lot more than you want to. So that's an interesting point you make.
2: Now, I'm going to transition by asking you a question. Uh, you know, this weekend we talked a lot about uh, food plots. You know, we had that that conversation up on that uh, the last day we shed hunted about. You know, how awesome would it be if you own this property and we can make turn this little area into a food plot? Yeah. So, what I want to know on your farms, or that that you are going to be doing some some uh, food plots, is you know, did the food plots that you planted last year work? And if they didn't, what are you planning on doing this year to fix that problem?
1: Yeah, good question. Um, so it's a it's a yes and no answer. Um, it from a purely holding deer in the area and providing nutrition for the local deer, they certainly worked. Um, I had lots of food. For the deer that lasted through well into the season i've got some late season food sources that they're, that they're still hitting right now um, what were they what are those late season ones yeah so i planted um overall on my main hunting property where i'm able to do habitat improvements i planted uh several different food plots of oats and winter greens which are whitetail institute's brassica food plot blend so oats, gotcha. winter greens and then a little bit of clover Um, and so what I did for, I've got two main food plots, um, and one of them is kind of a three part food plot that kind of looks like a half a pie. Um, I planted strips. So I planted a strip of brassicas, a strip of oats, a strip of brassicas, a strip of oats. And what I've got, those oats are the early season food. So the deer were hitting that in late August, September, October into early November. And then once the really cold weather start hitting, then they, they folk they move over to the late season foods excuse me, which are the brassicas. So what I was able to do is by having both of those crops within the same area, I was able to establish a consistent pattern that stayed, that kept deer coming to that area no matter what time of the hunting season it was. So I definitely had deer using those areas all the time. Um, Well, I had those throughout the entire season. And my issue this year was just from a hunting standpoint, um, yeah. You know, I don't even know if it was an issue with the food plots. It was more so just the population, just my my deer hunting situation. You know, as we talked about last season, there was there just weren't the bucks in the area that I was interested in hunting. There was only one deer that I really was targeting, and um, I couldn't I could never quite get him on my farm. Um, he was always in the outskirts. I saw him a couple times, but you know I think the larger issue is that the majority of this farm. Is open ag land that I, I have no control over. It's it's farmland and I can't do anything about it. And excuse me, that property got tilled up in the middle of October because it was beans this year, and so they just disked it all up in middle of October. And once that happened, and seventy percent of the whole property is now just a big dirt field, it just killed the deer movement um, yeah. in general. And all I could do is hunt the edges, this little bit of timber and swamp I have. That usually, you know, there's some kind of crop in the middle of it all that facilitated you know, that kept deer on the edges crossing in between and out and in and to my food plots and everything. But once I had this giant wasteland of dirt, it just, deer still use my food plots. And that was my saving grace. Actually, if I didn't have those food plots, I wouldn't have any deer at all. Um, so I did still keep deer there, but the issue is that because of my limitations, I can only put food plots in these couple locations because it works out, um, with the property owner. Um, those are on the edges of my property. So in a perfect world, I would have those closer to the center so that deer would be moving towards the food and I could hunt out towards the edges in the timber. But just because of these limitations, I can't do that. Um, So I wish I could relocate them to a degree, but I can't. Um, But when it comes to the actual, you know, the food itself, that worked great. It kept deer in the area. Um, You know, the only issue I had was with the front food plot that I planted. You can see it from the road. Um, So what I did is I planted... A food plot screen of Egyptian wheat, and that block essentially was like ten foot tall, really tall grasses, and it surrounded the entire food plot and provided a wall to make these deer feel comfortable using that food plot during the daylight. And it worked great. I did that. I did it two years ago. It worked really well. I did it again this year. It was working really well until like November, and I don't know what happened. I left and I was on a trip somewhere, and when I came back to hunt, um, my screen was just decimated it was all on the ground like the year before I had no issues it stood all the way through winter it worked out really well this year it did not stand well and so once uh once that cold weather hit the food plot screen was down and I think that that lessened my opportunity to see a mature buck during daylight using that food plot because it wasn't as secure so gotcha. you know, this year I'm going to try to figure out a way to to maybe adjust what I'm planting as that screen or plant it in thicker um, in a thicker strip or do something to try to make it stand up a little bit stronger throughout the winter because I need that to make that food plot effective um, and not be you know wide open to everyone on everyone driving around. So that's probably what I learned the most from my uh, food plotting situation this past year. Um, my challenge this year is going to be the fact that. Um, You know, as you know, Dan, um, I'm actually going to be living most of the summer for a couple months of the summer out west in the mountains. Um, And so I'm not going to be back home able to work on my food plots. So what I need to do is I need to do a whole bunch of prep work in May um, to try to get my food plots as ready to go as possible and then hopefully have a friend or t- I've got i I've got a number of friends that are co- going to be coming by my property, checking out, checking out the house and all the different things around home, um, and hopefully they're going to be able to grab my four-wheeler and go to the food plots and spray them a couple times um, during the summer just to keep the weeds down so that when I get back in August, I'll be able to get in there and do my final prep, but it's going to be a little bit of a challenge. I'm going to have to plan a little bit more um, than I usually do to make sure I get everything I possibly can do done in May and then have everything ready to go and august to get those things in the ground so it'll be a little bit interesting that kind of is applying to all of my deer planning because again i'm i'm gonna have this gap in the middle of the summer that usually i'd be doing deer projects where i'm not going to be um so i'm gonna have to do a lot of stuff in the spring and then a little bit of stuff in the late summer so gotta plan gotta do a lot more planning a lot more stuff in april may than usual
2: yeah sounds like you're gonna be busy
1: yeah i will but uh it'll be it'll be good going to uh you know going to continue to be hunting in Michigan and Ohio and now I'm in the I'm in the works right now of trying to establish a third place to hunt um trying to find a property in northern Kentucky maybe just south of my Ohio spot or Illinois or Iowa um so now I'm, I'm bouncing around a whole bunch of different ideas trying to see can I get permission somewhere uh is there you know an affordable lease I can get um that's those are the kind of things that I'm working through right now and and that's something that this time of year is a great time of year to do that kind of thing is to start planning where you're going to hunt, trying to find new properties to hunt, uh, talking to people, building relationships, trying to find those places, or just researching on your maps. You know, we've talked about in past episodes about gaining permission on hunting land. You know, now's a great time to be working on that too. So that's a big part of my spring prep as well.
2: And I, you know, we are going on a, uh, Mark and myself are going on a a hunting adventure out out west uh, for mule deer this year. So another thing is, you know, if you, if you have interest in Western hunting, now's the time to start uh, looking into that because the, the tags, the point systems, uh, they have, they have dates and ranges you have to apply for. And uh, it's right now, you know, some States have already closed, let's say like their, their elk and their deer, their deer, um, point purchasing system so you'd have to wait until the next year to get your points but if you're if you're curious and you're interested you know we we just got done having a, a podcast um with what's what was his name
1: i think robert hanneman of, yep. of the hunting fool yep and
2: uh and uh he so listen to that podcast first but just as a reminder that if you're planning on doing any western hunting now right now is the time that you need to start to preparing for it
1: Yeah. That's a great reminder. That's something I always forget too. And even some of the, even some whitetail states, you know, in the next couple months you need to start, you know, buying your tags or your points. I think Iowa, you have to buy it in before June, I think, and Kansas and uh, some of the Western states too. I think it's earlier in the year too. So if you're going out of state or heading out West or anything like that, look into those things, make sure you know the regulations and, and don't miss out on, you know, submitting your applications.
2: Yeah. That's a fact.
1: That is a fact. I think the only yeah. other thing that I want to mention about uh you know what we should be doing right now we won't go into much detail on it I want to have a couple podcasts or at least one diving deep into this again but it's it's scouting right you should be scouting all year long but really right now is one of the best times of year to scout because in most states at least in the northern states we're just starting to have our snow melt and when that snow just melts that's a perfect time to really start seeing some sign from the past fall so uh, we'll talk more about that in the future, but if you're if you're itching to do some spring scouting, I'd really encourage you to listen to episode number three of the podcast. We had Dan Infault on, and he talked about some of his spring scouting ideas, and that was really helpful stuff. And I actually just posted a blog post today um, sharing five tips from Dan Infault about spring scouting. So we'll link to that in the show notes as well. That uh, That's some good stuff.
2: And speaking of itching, do your scouting now because you don't want poison ivy. <laughs> I hate <Yeah>. poison ivy. <laughs> I Me get too. it real
1: bad. Me too. You know, you can actually get poison ivy in the winter though too. Did you know that?
2: Yep. I've got I've got it every time of year. Um, every time I go out now I'm wearing long sleeve everything. And uh I used to get it so bad, I remember the worst I got it, I was in the emergency room for three days. Ugh. Closed it swelled my eyes shut, it was collapsing my throat. I was I was uh, helping somebody burn some stuff, like a big pile of wood, and poison ivy got in there. And the smoke I was working in got on my in my eyes and in my throat. And I had poison ivy in my throat. Oh, wow. It was the worst, like the worst three days of my life.
1: That sounds horrible.
2: Yeah. Wow. So do your scouting now.
1: Yeah. Avoid poison ivy. I, I thought I've had it bad. I've never had that bad. I got it. Yeah. I, did I tell you about last fall when I got during hunting season or not last fall it Was the fall before, I guess.
2: I think you showed me a picture of your arm.
1: <laughs> I got, well, this was, I got on my face and I no. got it so bad. I had to go into the doctor to like, you know, like uh, urgent care or whatever to, to, I was hoping they would just give me, I think it's prednisone or some kind of little steroid they give you when you have really bad poison ivy. Yeah. Um, and instead they said I had to get the shot and yeah. they gave me the shot. It's like the shot in your butt yeah. and they gave it to me and I just passed out. I don't know what happened, but I passed out. So I don't want to get poison ivy anymore because I don't want any more shots in my butt. And I don't want any more passed out. <laughs> I
2: heard. I just imagined this needle going going in, and you just going ah, and then falling down.
1: <laughs> it, yeah, it was it was a real it was the the real feminine faint where I put my palm up to my forehead and then kind of swoon. <laughs> that was exactly what I did.
0: <laughs>
1: oh, uh yeah hey. Yep. Yeah. Well, I think uh, I think we should probably shut this episode down. What do you think?
2: Yeah, you know, I do. I want to say something real quick. Corey, if you're listening, <laughs> you are welcome back next year. I'm just <laughs> pulling your leg, but you still have to stand at the dinner table. He
1: does have to stand. No sitting. <laughs> no sitting allowed. Oh, man, that was fun. That was a good time. Um, before we do shut down, I want to give one quick update. As of this morning, I haven't posted on the blog or anything yet, but as of this morning, the brand-new Wired to Hunt hats and T-shirts are available for sale on wired dot So, yeah, pretty excited. I got
2: mine on right now. So like- I hope whoever that one guy is that you sent a free one to, I hope he hasn't got it yet because I have mine. And I wore it all day yesterday, and <laughs> I wore it all day today. Well, I took it off while I was at work, but uh, those hats are pretty cool.
1: Yeah, I'm 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 pretty happy with them. I'm, I'm pretty stoked to be able to wear the new, the new logo gear. And uh, so yeah, go on the website. They're for sale. Uh, you know, anyone that you know likes the shirts and hats and wants to buy one, we really appreciate it. Uh, it, it helps us keep the podcast going. It helps keep the keeps the, the blog afloat and all all that. So we appreciate that help. We appreciate the support and hope you guys like it. Hope it's something that you'll be proud to wear and, and walk around town or the woods with. So My my shirt's
2: in the mail, right?
1: Uh, it's not yet, but...
2: <laughs> you should have lied to me, Mark. I know. You should have Spe- said, it's in the mail, and I, I'll take an extra large.
1: I do have good news, though. You did get one of the first hats, because the guy who was supposed to get the hat first, um, my wife was handling the mail. I'm, I'm going to throw my wife under the bus here, but hopefully she won't listen to this. But, <laughs> but was, you just did. I did. <laughs> she told me she was mailing them out and I thought she mailed it out. And then today I went in the laundry room and I saw the boxes were still there and she hadn't sent them out yet. So you, you got it first. (laughs) Sucker. (laughs) Uh, Now that this, this listener of ours is never going to listen again because
2: (laughs) exactly like those guys are asses.
1: Yeah. Jeez, man. (laughs) We better stop while we're still ahead, Dan. (laughs) All right. Well, I appreciate you guys listening to us ramble on today all about our shed hunting exploits and the different projects we have going on. But hopefully this is something, you know, a little fun for a change because, you know, over the past couple of weeks we've had a lot of interviews, had a lot of guests on the show. But we haven't really got to talk about what me and Dan are doing. And so I hope that that's interesting on occasion. And, you know, we'll continue to keep the great interviews and the great guests and the expert, you know, strategies and advice. We'll keep that coming. But, of course, we want to also make sure that you guys, you know, know what your hosts are up to. So... That said, for show notes from this episode, um, we mentioned a couple things that we'll be linking to. Go to wiredtohuntcom episode 47. You can also go there and get links to the new hats and shirts, too. And as we always ask, also, if you've enjoyed the show, if you could please leave us a rating or review on iTunes. It means the world, and it really helps the show out. I think right now we have 207 five-star reviews, if I last saw, which is incredible. Um, so thank you everyone who's done that Uh, also we want to thank our partners who help keep the podcast on the air big big thank you to Sitka Gear Trophy Ridge, Bear Archery Redneck Blinds, Huntera Maps Huntsoft and the Whitetail Institute of North America thank you and finally thank you to all of you guys and girls listening to us today I hope you've got some big plans this spring uh, working on your prep for whitetail season and of course I hope you'll stay Wired to Hunt at your local auto parts store, or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more.